You're listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Alright, Mr. President. What's my next mission? What kind of crazy monsters do you have me going up against this time? Your mission, Mr. Kilroy, if you choose to accept it, is to listen to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Sir, yes, sir. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Podcast. This is your host, Derek, Derek WC, and we're joined tonight by a very, very special guest. We've got the creator of Ace Kilroy, a pretty cool comic strip, and also uh, the head of the Aquaman Shrine and uh, one of the co-hosts of the Fire and Water podcast, if you're familiar with that show. So uh, we've invited uh, Rob Kelly here on the show tonight. And uh, just to go over real quick who we're all here with tonight, um, why why don't all the fanals who are here just give a shout-out for everybody at home so we know who's all here, and then we'll uh, get started into kind of a Q&A session with uh, Mr. Rob Kelly. So go ahead and shout-out, guys, for the listeners at home. What's up? It's Mike. This is Grimlock. Hey, everybody. This is Tony Changwell. Hey, Rob. So, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, this is this is going to be cool. I, I just wanted to yeah. say I'm a big fan of the, the Fire, Fire and Water podcast. i kind of been plugging it here and there when I can on the show, and I, I kind of get a kick out of listening to it a lot. So, I thought this would be kind of cool to uh, maybe give you more of an opportunity to kind of talk about Ace Kilroy more than, say, you know, Aquaman or you know, Firestorm or, or anything like that. But obviously, also, we, we are big fans of those characters as well, so we'll probably go into that a little bit as well. But uh, we, we sort of have a pre-prepared list of, of questions and, you know, questions for you and all that kind of stuff regarding Ace Kilroy. Um, but so I guess we'll just get into it right away. I mean, I, I guess what I was pitching it as originally to the guys was kind of like a combination between Indiana Jones and Hellboy, but I guess, you know, the more I kind of read the strip and everything, I kind of noticed how you kind of sold it as kind of more like Indiana Jones meets the Universal Monsters almost. And kind of like that that aspect to it seems more clear to me, you know, as I've been reading the strip and everything. But, we, you know, we were just kind of wondering, like, what was the impetus and, like, the inspiration behind Ace Kilroy? Well, I mean, I'd always loved old-time adventure comic strips, you know, I mean, ever since I was a kid. And doing a comic strip was something that I had sort of considered doing even back when I was at the Joe Kubert School. And right after I graduated there, I came up with my own humor strip that I submitted to, you know, like the syndicates, like the old way. And, you know, of course, it just got completely rejected. And so I sort of just forgot all about it. 
And then after that, I pursued a career in illustration and commercial illustration. And uh, I was moderately successful at that. But over the last couple of years, like that kind of, I kind of got tired of doing that and sort of just got tired of having to run everything that I was doing through somebody, if through an art director, through, you know, I just kind of, kind of got tired of clients, <laughs> to be honest. And I thought, you know, it might be kind of fun to come up with something that I can just do on my own. I don't need to run it by anybody. I knew that if I was going to come up with some sort of comic book or comic strip, it, I didn't want to draw it. I had sort of lost the, uh, you know, my skills and sort of atrophied over the years. And I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put that much, that kind of effort into it. So I realized that I didn't want to draw it. I just wanted to be the writer. And I sort of, you know, that was all that I thought about it. And then a couple of years ago at the New York Comic Con, I ran into Dan O'Connor, who I went to Cubert with. And I hadn't really seen much of him in you know, almost 20 years. I, I had reconnected with him on Facebook, but that was about it. And uh, then I, I saw him at the New York Comic Con, and he was telling me some horror stories about being an artist and, you know, stuff that I was familiar with. And I always was impressed with Dan's work. It was like, it's, to me, it's classic. It's solid. Uh, you know, and it's very unflashy. Un, un, un After I left the convention, I drove home that night, and I just remembered thinking, boy, wouldn't it be fun to collaborate with Dan on one of these ideas I kind of had? You know, you know wouldn't know, it be – he'd be the perfect guy. So I think, like, within, within a, day a day or two, or two of the convention being over, I sent him a couple of ideas that I had, and one of them was, as I called it, Steve Canyon meets the Universal Monsters. And he just wrote back immediately, and he goes, that's the one I would want to do. So that was the beginning of it, you know, and we – I didn't even have a name for it back then. We sort of hatched the name together and the premise and, and everything. I mean, I had a basic storyline of what I wanted to do. I always knew the tone that I wanted to achieve, and we just set off on that, that journey. And, you know, Dan was hugely influential in, in terms of uh, developing, obviously, the look of it and the character and everything else. And, you know, it, it just sort of – took off from there. And when, you know, when we first did it, I really thought it was just going to be a lark. It was just going to be something we did for fun, put up on a blog for free and just sort of, you know, just have something fun to, to get to my creative urges out on. And, but Dan's work was so good, so good. that I, I thought, you know, this is a little too good to just put up on a blog and forget about. I think we should maybe try and make a real effort, a real effort with this. So it that's that's kind of what we did, and you know now we're wrapping up our second season. So it it was it was really done as a sort of a random idea. Now it's kind of become a big chunk of my life. Yeah, it seems like it, it took a whole life of its own and everything. I'm just kind of curious. Like I, I guess this kind of is addressed in the second question, but you know we were kind of asking like what exactly is your specific role in the production of Ace Kilroy? But also I guess I was kind of wondering like how far in advance. Do you and, and Dan collaborate? Like, do you sort of write each strip as, as they go, or do you kind of have an overwhelming arc plotted out and you kind of give him, like, you know, maybe, you know, the whole season and then he gets to work on it? Like, how do you guys sort of collaborate and everything? Basically, I give him, I don't give him a whole season ahead of time, but I give him a, le a vast chunk of it, uh, probably... The, the second season is going to end up being almost the exact same length as the first season. I didn't intend that. I don't have a set limit or a set uh, number of weeks that I want any given season to be. I just sort of write the story and let it unfold as I think it works out best. Trying to get so far ahead that the whole season is finished before I give it to him is a, li a little more than I get, a little a bigger, you know, I, more more than I can chew. 
but I try to give him, you know, several months worth so he can sort of plan out his time. And then he sends it to me in clumps. And I basically what I do is I write the whole story, send it off to him in broken down, you know, strip by strip, panel by panel. Sometimes he asks me to give him specific layouts if he's having a tough time or he just if I have something really specific in mind, like, I, you know, we really need to see this guy's hand in this panel. He'll ask me for that. But for the most part, he does all that because, you know, he could do it better than me. And then he sends me the finished pencil and inked art. And then I add the lettering. I add all the tones, all the sound effects. And in the case of the Sundays, I do all the coloring. Then I get them ready and post them on the, the website. Yeah, I really, I really like Dan's work and everything. Like, I, I hope he takes this as a compliment, but when I read it, I kind of really want him to do like, I, I, I want him to do like a Judge Dredd type comic. You know, he <laughs> seems to do those, those big intimidating, like heroic figures very well, you know? But I, I guess continuing the, the sort of line of, of questioning that we had planned, um, is there a, a strip? or, or uh, like a specific strip or maybe a specific moment during Ace Kilroy so far up to this point of, of season two, like all the way through, I guess, season one that you're the most proud of? A specific moment. I mean, I have certain panels that I think are, the, and, and I can say this because I didn't do them. Uh, I have certain, certain panels that Dan has done that I think are so beautiful that all I had to do is add a little bit to them to make them quote unquote finished. And I'm, I'm, I just I can stare at them all day. Dan did a strip once, early in early season, season one, one of of, uh, of Ace entering a cabin, and I didn't ask him to do this. He just did it on his own. He drew Ace coming in through the door, and instead of seeing Ace, he's all draped in shadow. And I just thought, oh my god, that's beautiful. You know, it's just and it, to me it became like one of the iconic panels of the strip. And then later on in the season, we did a panel where Ace runs a, a wooden stake through the heart of one of the vampire sisters and it was for a Sunday strip. And I colored it in this very high contrast, crazy reds and blues, very EC comics. And I look at that panel as like, that is the perfect collaboration between Dan and I, because he took, he gave me a really core solid piece of artwork. And then I, I dressed it up and, and made it work for the Sunday. So in, in terms of the art, it's, it's moments like that. In terms of the story, you know, I went in season one, I don't want to, say what happens in case anybody listening to this wants to go and read it. But there's a moment in, in season one that where the story takes a darker turn than I ever had planned on, but it seemed, it seemed appropriate. And I think it, I like to think it worked, you know, that it really grounded the character for people. And from what I've heard of some of my uh, people that friends and that have read it, it really did work for them. So uh, I am proud of that because, because, I never wanted Ace Kilroy to be jokey, you know, where it's all just kind of like a big goof or almost parody. I wanted it to be, you know, I guess in terms of tone, as close to Raiders of the Lost Ark as I can make it. You know, like it's it's light, there's some lighthearted moments, but it's 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 a real story with real characters, and you actually do care about what happens. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that. I think I think there's definitely some. You know, without spoiling the uh, first season, of course, there's definitely some very sort of serious moments when when you're dealing with, you know, even with, you know, whether it's monsters or Nazi experimentation or or anything like that. You know, you're you're definitely dealing with kind of some some heavy material, you know, along with your fun. So, I mean, and and I think 
I think it, you definitely have some good sort of chilling moments that you have, you know, with the character where he's got to deal with a lot of heavy stuff, you know. So uh, while there's a lot of sort of adventure and kind of things reminiscent of, you know, old comic strips or movie serials or things like that, there's also some kind of definite, you know, dramatic turns for the character as well. So I, I, I think it definitely works. What is involved for you and Dan, like, the back and forth, you know, creating and producing, like, an entire Ace Kilroy strip? The back and forth. I mean, there isn't, a whole, there isn't really a whole lot. I mean, Dan, for the most part, is content to, you know, write, draw what I ask him to draw. You know, I mean, for the most part, I mean, it, all of Ace Kilroy really does spring from my head. And I kind of know where I want it to go. I have... I have individual moments that I want each season to have, and then I want an overarching thing that, you know, I have some. I have a story that, you know, is sort of running in the background of season one and season two, and is going to continue on to season three, and probably further than that. So, you know, we we've known each other a long time, and you know, there isn't a whole lot of discussion back and forth about things for the most part. You know, he's he understands. Uh, I mean, at this point, we've done. 340 strips together, I think. I think that's what we're up to. And so, you know, and we've done a lot of ancillary stuff and little things here and there. So I think there's a basic understanding about what I want from him and what I expect. And most of the time he exceeds, you know, even what I'm expecting. But it it is, you know, basically once I write it and send it off to him, that's pretty much when I'm going to get back. Cool. I guess, uh, as you can tell by my uh, Skype avatar, I've kind of got a little screenshot of... uh, the, the movie serial poster yeah. that, that somebody was kind enough to send to you. I thought that was really cool when we were, you know, in preparation for this, obviously we, we read the first season of Ace Kilroy, and then, I, you know, we were all kind of going through and reading the, the daily strips as well, and I, I thought that movie serial poster was actually really, really cool. Um, but this kind of leads into the next question, which is, I guess if there was going to be an Ace Kilroy feature film version <laughs> today, you know, like who would you, who would you see playing Ace Kilroy? That's a hard question because it's like I don't know a lot of younger actors, but um, I don't know if any of you guys saw The Artist. But uh, in the, uh, the the opening scene of The Artist, we see a movie that the character in the movie is in. So it's like a movie within a movie. And the, the movie within the movie is like a movie adventure movie serial where the main character is getting like these electrodes strapped to his head. And there's like a mad scientist zapping him. And the, the, the main actor, uh, John Short, I forget his name. I forget the, the name of the guy from the artist, the one who won the Oscar, but he has that pencil thin mustache. And as, oh, okay. as he's getting electrocuted, I was with my friend and my, I learned, I leaned over to my friend and I go, this is the five opening five minutes of the Ace Kilroy movie. I mean, it just is. <laughs> so, That's um, cool. yeah. I, you know, I don't know if he would be the right guy, but, but, you know, something like that, somebody who has that sort of charm, it's, you know, the idea that there would ever be such a thing is so beyond my imagination that it's hard to, take it seriously. You know what I mean? Cause it's just, yeah, yeah, so, no, that's cool. So it just amazing. seems like a fun, a fun question to ask, oh, yeah, you know, to yeah. talk about or whatever. I mean, I, I would hope that Dan and, and you would take this as a compliment, but while, while I was reading, you know, besides just thinking of things like Indiana Jones or old movie serials and, uh, you know, universal movie monsters and things like that, you know, seeing how, uh, Ace Kilroy interacts with his pal, Ellie, 
like believe it or not, it kind of reminded me of a a way more wholesome version of uh, of the comedian and the Silk Spectre, you know, kind of like <laughs> that. They're, you know, oh boy, I hope it's more wholesome than that. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I don't I don't mean like in a bad way. I just mean <laughs> it, it, it reminded me in a, like you know just the fact that they were you know that he's kind of like a government agent and he's going out you know, hunting down monsters for FDR and that kind of thing, you know, and that, that he had this, you know, old pal of his that was in Hollywood, and obviously they kind of have a thing for each other and stuff like that. So I just kind of, you know, that, that just the way they kind of looked and kind of some of their interactions, whether it was with, uh, you know, the bad guys or, or just with each other, you know, that's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. Sally Jupiter's kid. You're the comedian, right? You're pretty cool in there. You know your mom? She was one of the all-time champion beauties. You got her eyes, you know. You can have that same funny little mole. Take your hands off her. Hey, doll, long time no see. Not long enough in my book, Eddie. Get in the car. Are there no depths you won't sink to? Jesus Christ, Sally. And a guy I talked to his, you know, friend's daughter. Who the hell do you think I am? I guess one of the things I guess that you wanted to talk about was, and I guess we'll ask you is, are there any other upcoming projects that that you'd like to discuss that you have coming our way? Well, yeah, I have this other. I, I, there's a book that I have been working on for the past four or five years that actually predates Ace Kilroy that I'm the creator and editor of, and it's called Hey Kids Comics: True Life Tales from the Spinner Rack, and it's a, a collection of essays. It's not a comic book. It's it's their prose stories. It's a collection of essays from different people, some comic book writers, some TV writers, some journalists, some screenwriters, and a lot of comic book bloggers, all talking about how comic books were influential in their lives, one way or the other. Like, I have an essay from J.M. J.M. DeMatteis, the you know, legendary comic book writer who's currently writing Phantom Stranger, wrote Just yeah, League, you know, yeah. Just League. Uh, the novelist Alan Brenner, Paul Kupperberg, who's writing art, Kevin Keller right now, Jill Pentazzi from The Mary Sue, Erica Peterman from Girls Gone Geek and Glenn Weldon, who writes for NPR. And they all talk about comic books one way or the other, how they were influential to them, whether they were a child or an adult. And it's it's a really great collection of stories. And some of them are funny. Some are kind of sad. Some are just sort of warmly nostalgic for a time gone by. But they all are really focusing on how comic books were important to their lives you know at one point or or maybe still are and it's it's going to have about i think something around 39 30 to 35 to 40 different stories by all these different people and i'm going to write the intro and i compiled it and it's going to be coming out under the imprint of crazy eight press later Later on on in 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 the year cool yeah it sounds like you're you're very enthused about it i mean probably by the time this podcast airs it may already be out for release so by then we'll probably have maybe a a link up to uh the crazy eight or you know whatever you kind of give to us to help promote it and stuff like that but it sounds like it's going to be a really fun uh fun book i mean i know we all love comics and stuff like that so i i think that's something that's definitely geared toward you know fans of comic books and you know kind of seeing a collection of things you know it, it kind of reminds me of when, you know, they used to collect all the, uh, you know, the old Peter David, but I digress articles or things like that. But you're getting a collection, uh, you know, a broad collection of stories from from all kinds of walks of life, whether it be, you know, professionals or just 
you know, fans and stuff. Yeah, like I mean, so it, it sounds really cool. Yeah, they've all, I mean, it's all, a lot of them are coming from very different points of view, and one of them is from Professor James Cacalias, who wrote the Physics of Superheroes book, and he talks about how comic books helped him learn science and become this, you know, esteemed professor. And I, I have another story from Charlie Fish, who is writing the backup strips in Action Comics and wrote the DC Super Friends book for the Johnny DC line, talks about how he wanted a comic book so bad once he got hit by a car. Because he, he, you know, he was oh, just running across the street to get it, and it, so it's <laughs> it's really diverse, and 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 like I said, it's it's because I didn't write any of it, I can be sort of complimentary about it. I think it's going to make a really great collection of really interesting stories, and it's not. I mean, obviously, if you're a comics fan, it, it's it, it'll appeal to you, appeal to you, but I don't think it's something that you have to be a diehard comics fan to enjoy because it's about people's passions, you know, yeah. it's about something that they love, and I've read books about subjects that I may not be totally interested in, but I can connect to how much somebody loved, you know, baseball or how much somebody loved, you know, what, you know, a movie, whatever it is, you can relate to that passion and just transfer it in your own life. And that's what I think this is going to, this is going to be. So I am really, really excited. And it's going to, we're going to have it out um, as a print book and an ebook. So you can, you know, read it in whatever format you, you choose. And it's going to have some old time vintage photos, photos of people, people with comics with... and some other fun stuff. So it's, it ought to be a, uh, it ought to be a real blast. I'm really looking really forward to it because I'm, like I said, I've been working on it for almost over four years now, and it's, uh, I'm just thrilled that we're so close to it being actually put out and get people to read it. That'll be really good. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, Justin, for one, I'm sure will be happy as punch that there is a print version and not a digital version because I know he he loves uh, reading books and, and just the whole feel of the book and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't too. think we're going to. I don't think we're going to convince him that uh, that he needs to buy a Nook or whatever it is, whatever it is the crazy people are using to read books these days. <laughs> but but also it's cool that that there is that option available as well for people who you know maybe you know they can't get a print copy for whatever reason that they can also you know read the work digitally as well. Um, I guess there's just going to be one more shop question before we get into some fun comic booky stuff. I guess this kind of follows up into what you were just talking about. I know, like, we've got Mike here, who is also, like, an aspiring writer as well, so this may be some insightful information for him or anybody who's listening that's thinking of, you know, a career in those directions or, or kind of what you're doing right now, you know, self-publishing. But uh, we were kind of curious, could you go into detail about what the self-publishing process was like for you? Self-publishing for Ace Kilroy or... I guess both. I mean, because I know, I know we have interest in, you know, uh, just, you know, like what you're saying, like prose and written things. And also, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, what it's like to, you know, do a, a weekly webcomic and actually get that into print and, and how that feels when it's all kind of, you know, when you get that hardbound copy on your bookshelf, <laughs> like how that kind of feels once you sort of traveled that full path. In terms of the webcomic, one of the things that, that they taught us back at Qbert, and even though I didn't, you know, end up doing comic books, I, I, you could still translate it to, to your daily life or whatever, is uh, Qbert was big on getting whatever it was you were working on done. The only way you were going to get better was to just keep doing it. There was, I think there was some artist who said, you know, the first 100,000 drawings you do are going to suck. So you might as well get started on them as soon as possible to get them out of the way. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember who said like, that, but it's like a, I still got fifty thousand to go. Yeah, I, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> I I don't have enough years left to go through all that. So you know, one of the, and and I've had friends that have worked on their own projects who have reworked the same material 
for years, literally for years, because it's not perfect yet. And mm. it's never going to be perfect. It's never right. going to be perfect. So at a certain point, you know, with Ace Kilroy, a lot of it was logistics. We're like, look, we just want to get far enough ahead. We started working on it. Um, we we launched on Halloween uh, 2011, but we started working on it almost a year earlier. And, you know, we were just like, look, we're going to set this deadline for ourselves, which was at the time going to be every day. We've since scaled it back to every basically every other day. But but the first season was every day because we wanted it to be like an old time newspaper strip. So we were like, look, we got to get far enough ahead that we won't miss a day because we were like, we do not. You know, if you're going to promise something every day, you got to deliver every day. So we got really far enough ahead. But I didn't worry too much about any individual strip not being up to snuff. I just thought, you know what, this is the best I can do at this moment. And I'm going to move on to the next thing because there's always the next strip. And that's how we'll get better. And it's true of Dan's work and it's true of mine. And you just kind of have to not worry about that. And, you know, when I went back and looked at the first volume, the first season collected, there is some stuff in it that makes me wince. And there's even some stuff in season two that I'm a little like, "Eh, I could have done better. But, you know, you got to just keep moving. You can't get bogged down in that stuff. And in terms of it being, you know, self-published, Again, the reason it was created was so I could do whatever the hell I want with it. When I'm sitting down at my computer to scope out the next set of strips, it is so freeing to be able to say, I can do whatever the hell I want with this. I don't have to run this by anybody. That yeah, is that, that is that is, cool. that is just an amazing thing. Now, I mean, of course, you know, the downside is not that many people know about it. You know, we I, we do conventions every year. And, you know, we did a New York Comic Con and we had people walk by and they're like, wow, what is this thing? And we tell them, and they're like, this sounds really cool. And, you know, and yet, you know, they'll say, oh, I love web comics, but what's yours? I'm like, wow, you love web comics. You've never heard of ours. That's because we're not we're, we're not doing our job getting the word out. So, you know, it would be easier, of course, if Ace Kilroy had a, you know, image banner on it or Dark Horse or IDW or whatever. But, um, you know, that's not where we are right now. We did it because we wanted to do it completely on our own. And. It's going to sink or swim, you know, based on that. So it it is enormously satisfying to know that all the creative decisions that are made for the strip are mine. And, you know, it's 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 there just isn't anybody there to to tell me I can't do this thing that I want to do. And that's uh, that's enormously freeing. It really is. And, you know, last year we did a Kickstarter campaign to fund the printing of season one. And we're going to do another Kickstarter campaign in mid-June for season two. And, you know, last year we tried to raise $2,000 very keep it very modest and just raise the cost of what we needed. And we ended up raising $4,000 from, you know, something like 60 different donors. And that was very gratifying to have that many people pony up money for, for this thing that I just created out of my head one day. It's enormously, enormously satisfying to see people like it that much and want to be part of it. It's, uh, you know, it's very humbling. I think it's also kind of an inspirational thing, too, because, you know, like I'm saying, you've got, you know, people here like Mike who are, you know, aspiring writers and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of like what you're saying, you know, sometimes the unfortunate reality of things is, you know, you submit these ideas to, you know, newspapers or executives or 
you know, comic companies or go to San Diego or wherever it is you try to pitch these things. And, you know, maybe people don't pick up on it. You know, it's hard to see something unless it's actually done sometimes. So it can be really inspirational to see, you know, folks like yourself, you know, you had an idea, you went and published it, and it's this great comic strip. So, I mean, I think that's that's definitely a testament to uh, to you and Dan. I mean, congratulations on that. I mean, I think that's awesome. Thank you. So, I mean, yeah, in terms of it yeah. being, a, I mean, Dan and I always knew that we wanted it to be a newspaper strip, not a comic book, because that's just where our interest was. And, you know, we're, we're kind of old-timey guys. Dan Dan is even more old-timey than me. Dan definitely deserved, is probably reincarnated from somebody from the 1950s. And, and so it was always going to be a newspaper strip. And once you realize that, you're like, well, there's no way to pitch this to a syndicate because those things are dying. You know, the news, the, the, the news, newspapers are dying, let alone the newspaper comics page. And on top of that, they're not going to want something with violence and vampires. They want, you know, talking cats and talking babies. And, you know, n- yeah. nobody's going to want to read a story about, you know, Ace Killery mercy killing people because they're live because, you know, they're in a state of living death. No one's going to want right. to read that. Right. So, you yeah. know, a part of it was just a practical like, look, this is the creation and there just isn't going to be a financial pipeline outside of one that we create ourselves for this because no one's going to be interested in this. Either that or I change it to, to make it more sellable. And what's the point in that? So, you know, it really was just the practical, like, this is our weir- this is our creation. It's very weird. It's very old-timey. And it's, you know, it's just not what the marketplace is going to be interested in. So before we, I guess, move on to some of the, uh, I guess, uh, other comic book type stuff we were going to sort of ask you about and maybe just all have our little say about things, you know, stuff about Aquaman and the Phantom Stranger, you know, characters we know you're a fan of. Do you just want to tell everybody if they are interested in uh, reading the further adventures of Ace Kilroy, like where they can go about doing that? And, and, you know, as far as Hey Kids comics, you know, what should they be keeping their eye out for for that in the future? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Ace Kilroy can always be found at www.acekilroy.com. Um, we are wrapping up season two right now, but you can you know read the whole thing. You can read all of season one. It's very easy to to. There's a little pull down menu, and it's just marked season one, season two. You can read the strips. And like I said, at the end, in the not the end, but in the middle of June, we're going to be doing a Kickstarter campaign where you can help fund the printing of season, season two. two. And you can also go to our Etsy store. There's a link on our page where you can buy Volume 1, uh, the collected Volume 1. And um, we're also going to have some fun little bonus prizes and things that you can get if you pledge at different levels. We have we had some really cool stuff last year. We did a um, Treasury edition of Ace Kilroy. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the old giant size comics. So one of the little things I wanted to do for myself was to put out a treasury edition. So we did. So, you know, I have one on my bookshelf next to my copies of Superman versus Muhammad Ali and that's, Batman that's versus awesome. the Hulk. I have Ace Kilroy limited collector's edition. So we're going to do that again and we're going to do some other fun stuff. Yeah, you can go and read the strips on AceKilroy.com and check out. We're going to look out for the Kickstarter campaign if you want to get a copy of Volume 2 for yourself, you can do that. And then I guess just to continue the, the plugs and keep them rolling as we go into <laughs> questions about Aquaman and the Phantom Stranger and stuff like that, and, and my secret uh, Michael Moore question that I told you about way ahead of time so I don't feel guilty about it. Where, where, where can they listen to you give a, I guess, what is it? It's semi-weekly, right, podcast? Like, tell the listeners about that as well. 
Yeah, the Fire and Water podcast. It's yeah, it's we we try to do it weekly. We don't always succeed at that. I think basically the the, the fairest way to put it is we do like three episodes a month. Doesn't always yeah. track, but it's about three a month. Yeah, you can go to Fire and Water Podcast uh, com and there you can find links to all. I don't know how many we've done, like almost 60. It's 51 now, right? 51. We've done 51, 51. Fire and Waters, and then we've done uh, nine Who's Who podcasts. Which who's is a whole Who, little, yeah. Those, those, are, those awesome. are awesome. Thank too. you. Yeah, a whole little separate show separate devoted show. just to the Who's Who series of the mid-80s, which, which, which Shag and I are just totally in love with. You can also yeah, find no, it on iTunes. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Yeah, so if you if you guys like, uh, you know, uh, what we've been talking about so far as far as Ace Kilroy, you know where to go read it. And if you want to hear more of Rob and his buddy Shag, you can check them out on the Fire and Water podcast. But I guess here we're going to go into, you know, some of the kind of fun comic booky type questions that we had prepared and everything. And so I guess uh, just just to give you some background, Rob, which is why this is the kind of not an off-the-wall question or whatever – but um, we actually, I know we kind of joke a lot about the secret origin of the fan holes and everything, but technically the, the really for reals origin of the fan holes is we, we've all known each other for many years just in terms of a message board that was Transformers related. So that's kind of how we all originally met, you know, there were five of us and everything. So we're all obviously like huge fans of Transformers and everything, you know, so sometimes when I sit there and I'm, I'll listen to the Fire and Water podcast, you know, and you'll kind of mention how you're like, oh, I don't really care for Transformers. You know, to me and all of us, like, it's almost like in the back of our head, it's like, <gasps> you know, we, we, we have that kind of gut reaction to it or whatever, you know, and so, so what's funny is, and then as I was listening to like more Who's Who and, you know, you kind of go into your background at the Kubert School and everything. So my my question was, uh, do you just not like Transformers because uh, Jose Delbo worked on the comics and like he was one of your old instructors at the Kubert School? Like that's that's my theory, but but I'm probably totally off the wall and wrong. But I thought that might be a fun thing to ask you without as long as you were okay with it. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, when the Transformers came out, I was about thirteen, so I was just at the age where I was too old to be into this stuff now. It didn't stop me from kind of being into, like, the superpowers because they were based right. on my favorite characters. And, you know, I didn't play with them, but I was definitely interested because I was like, ooh, Dr. Fate, you know. But I, yeah, yeah. I was at the age where just toys – I was just too old for toys. And robots, for the most part, have never appealed to me. Like, they just and, – and from when I saw the Transformers, like, just – there just wasn't – there wasn't a lot there. And so it was one of those things where I, I compare the Transformers to um, Bon Jovi, where – I didn't like them when they were popular in the 80s. I didn't like them when they weren't popular, and I don't like them now that they're popular again. It just <laughs> – there's nothing about it that's not going to change. So uh, I'm glad that people love them, and, and uh, I can appreciate because, again, I run a blog and a, uh, web, uh, a podcast about Aquaman. Who am I to cast aspersions about anybody's love of anything? Uh, right, right. So, but, uh, but, I just thought it would be a fun, fun question to go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't fire! I, I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Please don't shoot! So I guess since we're we're already sort of talking about Aquaman, I know I actually got um. Well, I guess Justin was the one who probably was the most uh, faithful to the new Fifty Two version of Aquaman as it's been coming out. I I probably would say I read. The the first couple issues, it and it wasn't until I got into your podcast that I kept following Aquaman because I wanted. I enjoyed, I enjoyed listening to you and Shag so much. <laughs> I sort of went back and 
read a lot of the comics that I had sort of skipped out on and so forth. So I guess that's a testament to you guys or whatever for the, for the most part. Um, but uh, I guess we're just curious, like, what is it about Aquaman that specifically appeals to you, you know, Rob Kelly, you know? You know, I mean, I can never remember a time where he wasn't around. I mean, I watched the Super Friends cartoon before I, you know, I mean, since I was a toddler. This is a job for all the Super Friends, and especially Aquaman. So I don't ever remember him, him not being around. Um, I've always been, as a kid, like, a little scared of the water. So, you know, I don't want to get all, like, super psychological about it. But, you know, I, I've always been, you know, every year we, we went to uh, a cabin for, for summer vacation. And it sat on a lake. And, you know, lakes, lakes are, are big, big bodies of water are scary to me. So here's a guy who's the master of all that. That's pretty powerful. powerful. This is just something inherent in me, I guess. I've always been attracted to, like, his color scheme. I mean, his color scheme is secondary colors. Everyone else in the Super Friends is red, blue, and yellow, and here he is rocking green and orange. I think that's, you know, <laughs> visually compelling to me. And I, I don't know. I just, there's the, and just the fact that he's sort of unappreciated. I, I think I've always liked that. I kind of like the people who just kind of go about and do their business get things done in a quiet way as opposed to a flashy way. It's hard to, you know, it's kind of hard to put into words exactly without sounding kind of like probably ridiculous. But like I've noticed that in, in other things in movies or in TV, I tend to be attracted to characters that are more quiet about their, whatever it is their responsibilities are. And and, and Aquaman's kind of, I kind of perceive that as, as, as Aquaman having that character a little bit. So I always liked him. And, you know, over time, he just got so put upon that I feel like I had to defend him, you know, and I, I, there's there, you, you don't love anything more than than something you have to defend because you're really staking your, your claim. I, I've, I've used this example before, but it's like, you know, even when in like in the, the early 80s, when comic books were completely for nerds only and there was no movies, there was none of this. You know, if you liked the comic book, you were just it just instantly meant you were a nerd. Even then, like, you could still get away with liking, like, Batman. Because everyone knew Batman. Batman was pretty cool, and no matter what, you, you could get away with it. But if you like Aquaman, you have to really have a, have a good argument. Uh, and so I think that appealed to me on, on some level. Uh, well, the volcano's exploded. We've got to act fast. Right. Batman, Robin, you find some way to block future transmissions. Wonder Woman, you stop Dr. Spiker and find out what he knows. Flash! You run to the Andes Mountains and get those plans. I'll go stop the missiles that have already been launched. Aquaman, you go talk to some fish. Yeah, I, I remember not thinking that way about Aquaman for many years, I guess, because maybe I was young and, you know, I always loved DC Comics myself. So I, I kind of, you know, Aquaman was one of my first superpowers toys. I think it was the first superpowers toy I had. And I always watched the filmation cartoon with such seriousness, mm -hmm. you know, like it was like, dude, this guy can, you know, throw water bombs on people he's and he's awesome, you know, so I always kind of took it that way. So I guess, you know, eventually it got to the point where, you know, you have the Internet and you got all these people making fun of Aquaman or stand up comedians or whatever, you know, and then I guess it starts to, you know, dawn on you that not everybody thinks Aquaman's awesome 
you know, the way you might think he's awesome and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's that kind of like, so I could understand the need to be like, hey, leave Aquaman alone. Like, because you know, even I, I remember there were old, I used to go to the, I guess, the Wizard World showdown boards. And that was like back in 2000. Mm-hmm. And all they used to do was post scans of people's, I guess, feats and things, and people would have these big nerd arguments of why, you know, Deathstroke couldn't beat up, you know, Wolverine, or why Wolverine could dodge bullets, or why Superman could punch Goku in the face, and, you know, you just got into all these crazy arguments, but I always remember, like, the the funny funny stuff was, you know, they would always post, you know, I'd, I'd be happy when they'd post things like, here's Aquaman, you know, being awesome and slapping around Deathstroke, or, you know, whoever he was you know, beating up at the time, and you'd be like, yeah, like, you know, it's like most people are like, you know, kind of like used to that, I guess that default, uh, I don't know, making making fun of Aquaman or whatever it is, so it's always nice to see him get defended, you know, when when I see it anyway, so that's that's something about, you know, at least Fire and Water that appeals to me, you know, it's like I definitely, you know, appreciate the fact that there's a show about both Aquaman and Firestorm because I I love both those characters and sort of grew up watching them on Super Friends and everything. But uh, I guess, I I don't know, you were kind of stumped because I think somebody asked you this on Fire and Water, so I'm not sure if if you will be or not, but, uh, or if it's just like a hard decision because I know here when we ask about favorite stuff, you know, we always have like, a laundry list of honorable mentions or what have you, but, like, is there a favorite Aquaman story or creative team that you have over the years? Well, I mean, those things tend to be the ones you run into when you first, you know, the first ones you read, uh, for the most part. And that is true. I mean, like, the, the, the stories I read in the 70s when he was being written by Paul Levitz and David Michelini and Steve Skeets. And he was drawn by Jim Aparo. Those are really, like, yeah. my favorite ones. They're, yeah, those are pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's got Mira, he's got Aqualad, and, like, things are, like, things are bright and shiny. Everything is, you know, he's, they just look like they're having happy adventures, and, and uh, those are those are enormous fun. But I do love, I mean, there's been other runs that are great, the, the mid-'80s miniseries where they tried to kind of reboot him a little by Neil Posner and Craig Hamilton, where he got a new costume. Uh, yeah. They wanted to kind of shake him up and give him a sort of new reason for existing or a new sort of outlook on life. I thought that was really good. And I was totally down with the new costume. I was like, hey, if you know, I, I, I prefer the original outfit, but if they're going to stick with this one, I'd be totally OK with that. And uh, they ended up not sticking with it. But but I love that series. And that was a, kind of a big seller. I think the current book, especially the ones when the when they were being done by. Uh, Ivan Reese and Joe Prado and Rod Reese were, were some of the best comics Aquaman's ever had. Uh, under, I mean, yeah. Jeff Johns, you know, I know it's weird. It's like, uh, I think there's some weird cult of personality around Jeff Johns where, like, if I ever say on the fire and water that I'm, like, less than completely 100% thrilled with everything he's ever done, I get emails from people that are like, why'd you slam Jeff Johns? I'm like, well, wait, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. I can't, he's not infallible. I mean, can I just, yeah, yeah, you know, you, uh, you can't win. Right? Can I just, just say, look, this, this one issue was maybe not quite as good as the other one. You know, I, like, wow. But, but I think, I think as opposed to like, I, I'm just speaking sort of behind the veil or whatever, but I mean, when we do our show, I mean, we, we, we've, we've done whole shows like just bashing Brian Michael Bendis. So we're not, in that whole popularity contest camp or whatever. And you guys are definitely much more, you know, on the, 
the realm of being kind of, you know, fair and, you know, you, you try not to get too much into a negative bent on things and stuff like that. And so I can appreciate that. But I mean, you know, as far as, you know, I mean, just us talking, you know, just on a podcast or whatever, it's like, I don't, you know, when, whenever you kind of mention things of, oh, I don't think this direction that John's went in is so hot. Like I've never been one to jump on somebody because they, you know, just had an opinion about, you know, uh, uh, star creator or whatever, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. like you're saying, it's like, they're not infallible. It doesn't mean, I, I think sometimes you have periods where you have these people or even myself, you know, you've got a great love for maybe a new up and coming, you know, artist or an up and coming writer. And you just think, Oh, everything they do is great. But sometimes, you know, it can be anything. It can be like a school professor or, you know, uh, a job or anything like that. You know, you start out and you think, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And then, you know, the longer you work there or the more you hear their lectures or, you know, what have you, then you're kind of like, you start to notice the pattern and the routine and how they, you know, invest themselves in stories and maybe, you know, you like, you like their Aquaman a lot, but you know, they go on to do, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever he's doing doing next, next, you know, like justice league of America. And you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not too into this or whatever, you know? And that's, you know, to me, that's completely fair. I mean, it's not anything to jump over anybody about. Yeah. And then I don't want to overstate it. Nobody's ever been nasty about it, but it just is sort of funny that I, sometimes I do feel like if I'm, if I'm anything less than a hundred percent satisfied, there seems to be oh you know you're you're, you don't like him anymore no and but the one thing i will say about jeff johns and aquaman and the the, the, all of aquaman's current success is owed almost exclusively to jeff johns because nobody at dc comics nobody that high up at dc comics was that much of a fan of aquaman and it really was jeff johns's ability to to say we are going to put this character back on the map of the DC universe. And, and before then, he did not have a lot of champions at that company that were rooting for him. That was part of the thing that made me love him so much is that I felt like his his own parent company didn't treat him very well. You know, and you're like, God, come on. You know, like, why are you guys dumping on one of your characters? But here you've got Jeff Johns coming along. And, I mean, obviously combined with the art team, but but he really was the one that said, we are going to make Aquaman big again. And damn it, he did it, you know, and there were other writers that if somebody had said to me before all this happened, who would you like to write Aquaman? Jeff Johns would have not been on that list or would have not been very high on the list, but no one would have done what Johns has done for Aquaman. I mean, Aquaman is one of DC's top 10 selling books. There were months where he was outselling Spider-Man and the X-Men. And when I was younger and being a fan of Aquaman where he was in the dumps, if somebody said to me, you know what, there's going to be a point where Aquaman's going to outsell the X-Men, I'd say, get the hell out of here. That's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's completely ridiculous. So all credit in the world to Jeff Johns for doing what he has done for the character. So, you know, I yeah, there may be issues where I don't like as much as others, but I cannot, I will never fault what he's done for the character. He has completely rescued Aquaman from the depths of, of corporate indifference, and he deserves all the credit in the world for that. You're not fit to wear the crown, you weak and gutless! Please! Brother! Help me! I believe this is mine.
I didn't even think that, like, I guess before this whole New 52 reboot, I don't know that I ever envisioned a period where, like, Aquaman would be back to normal, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. he is, sort of is, I mean, at least visually, you know, because I, I, you went through the whole, you know, uh, Peter David period and the piranha hook hand, and then there was the water hand, and then it was like he was a freaking merman. And I was like, oh, man, like, what, you know, like, I think, you know, there were those periods where I was kind of like, is he ever just going to be, like, normal again, you know? So I guess that's that's pretty awesome just in and of itself that he just gets to be sort of himself without a whole lot of, you know, fanciful explanation or whatever. They didn't need uh, Wonder Woman's purple ray to fix everything or yeah, what have you. Yeah, I mean, he, I think any of those individual errors that you just mentioned were perfectly fine and worked in their own way, but when you take them as a sum total, I think if you're a marginal fan, you're not a, you're not a diehard like I am, you, you get confused because you're like, well, what, who is this guy? He seems to be, he, you know, he had the water, he seemed to... He looked different here. He has a metal shirt, and he looks like a pirate. And then here he's got this – he's shirtless with the water hand. And wait, you're right. Now he's a squid guy. And like, and I, yeah, I think yeah. if you're a casual fan, you just kind of throw your hands up. To, I mean, if you're a casual fan, you pretty much know who Spider-Man is. You know who Batman is. You know who Super, Superman's going to be Clark Kent. You know, Super, Spider-Man's going to be Peter Parker. Aquaman, you don't have that. And, and like in my own case, like I've always loved Hawkman. He's always another one of my favorites. But in the 90s, DC just let every new person reboot Hawkman to their heart's content to the point where I was like, I don't even know what this character is anymore. And I just gave up. I'm just like, okay, I'm done. The the character that I loved, him and the hot redhead wife fighting crime in space, that's gone. Doesn't doesn't exist. It's gone. They're now they're they're now they're like, wait, they're they used to be together. But now he's reincarnated. Like and it's just because. They didn't have one person standing far enough back and looking at it in a macro sense and saying, wait a minute, we're taking one of our marquee characters and just making him unrecognizable. And, you know, that's what happened with Aquaman. And so, you know, I can understand why some people just threw their hands up and said, you know what, I'm not that into Aquaman to put this much effort into figuring him out. Because I did the same thing for Hawkman. I just threw my hands up and said, all right, I'm done. (laughs) I'm done caring about this character. Baby Root presents Moments with Great American Heroes. Sure, there's a lot of bad guys out there, but gravity is my biggest enemy. And I'll be honest, my vision is not what it used to be. That's why I eat Baby Root. It's got all the energy in there to put me right back at the top of my game. Your rival, Lion Mane, says that's cheating. Cheating? <laughs> he said that? How did he sound? Was he mad? Baby Root from Nestle, this baby gets you going. Let, let me just add that, like, I'm I'm completely, like, an Aquaman noob. Like, I, I only know him from the cartoons and stuff. And, like, in prep time for this, like, podcast, um, I, I tracked down and I read, like, all of, uh, like, the new 52 Aquaman series so far. And, like, I enjoyed it. Like, it was totally really accessible. I didn't need to know a lot about him, and like like Derek says, he was he was like back to normal, I guess. Yeah. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was like no complicated like anything. Like you know, I I knew Aquaman, Mera, and like they fight like you know Black Manta and Ocean Master, and that's like all I knew. And like that it was completely accessible, and you know they, he still introduced like new plot elements that I could totally follow. So. You know, all kudos. You're you're completely. Uh, I'm completely behind you with the uh, Jeff Johns love there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, he he. You know, years later, 
you know, years from now, Jeff Johns will be looked back on as one of the great Aquaman writers because he brought a vitality back to the character that hadn't he hadn't had in a long time. So I guess moving on from uh, all the Aquaman love, because there's lots of Aquaman love going on. Um, well, I guess, wait, I, I, I'm forgetting one question. I guess we have to we have to do some, I don't know, there might not be Aquaman love, or there might be Aquaman love, but as we can see from Mr. Uh, Tony Jackson's Skype screen, there's a shot of Aquaman uh, furiously battling Namor, and I guess this was a question that Justin had posed, um, and I guess it's going to be posed to you, Rob Kelly, but, you know, who knows what your answer will be. But uh, we're, we're curious what you think would go down between a fight between Namor and Aquaman. <laughs> well, uh, killer a whale on Namor this time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we already saw what happened in DC versus Marvel. Um, <laughs> I, I, again, I, I have to I have to be fair. You know, I, just because I'm a fan of Aquaman doesn't mean you know I'm my reality is uh, skewed. Although I guess it is a little bit. Uh, I mean, look. In in the in the realm of the DC universe, Aquaman is you know upper level but mid level strength. He's not in the same league, no pun intended, as Superman, Wonder Woman, you know Captain Marvel or some of the others. But in the Marvel universe, Namor is top guy. You know Namor has fought the Hulk to a standstill. So in just in terms of raw power, Aquaman would have his arms ripped out of his sockets by Namor. You know he just would. The, the the only thing Aquaman would be able to do is, with his mental powers, maybe be able to get uh, enough time in before Namor yeah. does rip Aquaman's arms off to do he something to Namor's brain, brain that would cause Namor to, you know, give in, give in or, or uh, for, for, forget that he was this super-powered, super-powered Atlantean or something like that. So if Aquaman has he, enough he could time... Have, he could have Namor eat his own wings. Exactly, right, know, exactly. So if, if Aquaman had enough time... To, to plant something in Namor's brain that would get him to stand down, he might have a shot. But if he doesn't, that's it. I'm sorry. Namor is just chucking Aquaman into the sun, and that's the end of that. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my take on that always was I was like, oh, yeah, Peter David's writing Aquaman. Oh, Peter David's writing this issue. Oh, that's why I'm in one. You know, like, yeah. Peter David can't let his, uh, you know, the character he's writing have a horrible loss in, in whatever he happens to be writing. Yeah, he so was playing some favorites there, to- yeah. Hey, Derek, uh, Aquaman will just make Namor make out with a lobster woman. Ah. <laughs> no, uh, Rob, I, they're just joking because uh, I don't, I don't, there's a scene where I guess Namor seduces uh, a lobster queen woman in the latest Uncanny X-Men run, I guess, <laughs> or I guess the one before Marvel now. So I, I always bring that up every so often because uh, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I will say as far as I go, like there is a mixture of like feelings because I always feel bad for Namor because he has the worst costume in the world when he's not wearing the blue and gold, but he's wearing just the little bikini Speedo briefs. <laughs> it's really hard to take him seriously. <laughs> That's why he grew a ponytail in the 90s. Yeah, the savage submariner. <laughs> submariner. Right. Anyway, I just want to chime in with my, my bikini briefs hate. The, yes. the, ladies, See, I think, I think the ladies love it, though. <laughs> I, I, that's what I was thinking. I know you were saying something about The Rock playing some comic character, but I was always thinking, like, if anybody could pull off the green Speedo for Namor, it would be The Rock, and you just would have a straight face at least, sort of. You know, yeah, maybe. That's, I don't know. That's a, it's a, that's a rough outfit. It's a rough, rough outfit. Yeah, yeah. The Rock yeah, does have the eyebrows for it, too. You know, <laughs> I could I could see The Rock being a good, good Namor. Phantom Stranger. This had better be important. Very. 
I'm alarmed at the way you're conducting this investigation. Go haunt a house. I'm busy. I guess I, I guess we're going maybe a little more obscure now, a little more obscure into uh, DC land. But uh, we we know that the Phantom Stranger is also a favorite character of yours, and so uh, and Justin actually again has been the champion of the Phantom Stranger. He's been telling me to read it, so I, I did actually uh, catch up on the Phantom Stranger before we started this podcast. So it's the first time I've read it. Um, but I guess we just have a couple. Phantom Stranger questions for you, which I, which I guess relation. relation to the the old Secret Origins issue, which is uh, what Phantom Stranger origin do you prefer the most, Rob? Well, of the I mean, they said they, uh, you're talking about that issue of Secret Origins where instead of giving you a definitive origin, they gave us four possible. Yeah, they give you they give you the origins, four different possible I, origins. You know, I thought that was a great because comic, comic fans, fans don't like ambiguity, and here was DC, perf- you know, actually saying. Yeah, we're refusing to give you the answer, you know, which is kind of kind of gutsy in its own way. I don't know which origin, origin. I like the best. I really don't. I I, I think the the ones that are more religion based, I'm not a huge fan of, just because, you know, my own personal feelings, and I also I don't like. I don't know. To me, it's like if you mention a religion in the DC universe you're sort of then saying, well, this is the one true religion because this is the real story, and I kind of object to that on a sort of philosophical level. So, you know, it makes sense. I understand why they connect them that way to this eternal character, but I've never been a huge fan of that. And there was the one that was, was, like, back in outer space where he came through time. That was yeah, does that, I was like, does that mean you like the whole future boy origin yeah. where he, like, sort of creates himself or whatever? Yeah, that the, I like that, too. Like I, you know, I... I I think the idea of a guy who is enduring some sort of punishment from whether you want to call it God, the universe, whatever, and he's doomed to walk a lonely life, you know, fighting the forces of evil, like that to me, that's enough. That's enough. I don't, I don't need to know anything more than that. To me, that you break down the details and it just to me loses something. So, you know. I kind of like that bare bones setup of okay, this guy is clearly a supernatural being. He's trying to atone for something, and that's it. You know, it's like I don't. That's fine. You know, you know, we don't. You don't need to go with it any further than that. Well, what about you, Justin? Like, did you have a favorite origin since you were the one who who wrote the question or whatever? Um, I'm just curious. Like, out of those four presented, like I guess I would go with the Wandering Jew, but I kind of agree with Rob. Like. I think all you really need to know or is just you don't really need to know anything about him. I mean, what I like the best about the old 70s series is just you don't know a whole lot about him exactly. He's just there, and he's, you know, whether he's, like, trying to foil, like, Dr. 13's plans or, you know, trying to convince him to, like, you know, hey, wake up, like, go surreal. Like, I, I, I like that. Like, I don't think you need, like, bells and whistles of, like, an origin or like, even four origins. Like, I just... Yeah. I like the simplicity of that. Like that's kind something that's lost. And I'm a stranger. If everybody knows who you are, yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's very true, Tony. The the words of wisdom from babes. <laughs> but I guess I guess what uh, speaking of of other origins, I guess I guess we're we're also dealing with the whole new fifty two. So I guess one of our you know last questions for the night to Rob will be, what, what do you think of the new 52 Phantom okay. Stranger series? I mean, obviously that is very steamed in, in, I guess, you know, sort of like the Wandering Jew. It's, it's a little more New Testament kind of religion, you know? I mean, he's basically, you know, Judas with his 50, 50 pieces, pieces of silver. silver. Like, what's, your, what's your, what's your, what's your take, your take on, on that, that series so far? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't think it was a great premise from which to start, but I do like the book. And I like it even more now that J.M. DeMatteis is writing it, and you know, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I'm not just saying that because because he's a friend, and and you know, I said he's got a story in my book and everything. He's, I was a fan of his when I was a kid. And the fact that, like, you know, I get to, like, be sort of buddies with him now is, like, unbelievable to me, you know. Um, but I, I genuinely like his take on The Phantom Stranger. And I, the thing I always liked about The Phantom Stranger, and this was back from his earliest comics in the 70s and the stories they did in the 80s and the ones they do now, is I like, I like the idea that he's kind of on the margins of the DC universe fighting these creatures or monsters that, even within the DCU, people don't necessarily believe exists. And he's out there doing that gritty, nasty work, you know, fighting those creatures. And I like that idea. And so the Phantom Stranger book doesn't feel like a new 52 book. It feels different than a lot of the other books. I mean, one of the criticisms that lobbed the new 52 is that the books are very same, same, you know, that it, it feels that DC is trying to be more like Marvel you know, with this very kind of like, gen- I don't necessarily mean this in a nasty way, but like this sort of generic feel to the whole line. And DC, for some reason, seems to want to emulate that as opposed to striking out on their own, which is what they used to do. But Phantom Stranger as a title never really felt like a regular DC book. And they've retained that with the new 52 version. There there hasn't been a whole lot of crossovers. I mean, I'm sure they'll get to that eventually. But um, I kind of like that, that he's he's kind of off in this weird little lonely corner of the DCU fighting demons and hanging out with Dr. 13, uh, doing stuff that do, interacting with characters that you would never see in Batman or Superman or something like that. So I think it's a good book. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that they even brought him back. You know, I didn't necessarily think they would. So it's great to have him in his own series again. I've been kind of interested just to see like the the new 52 versions of characters like the specter and the question, like I've always been a big fan of the question. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I mean, even if he turns out to be like, you know, evils or whatever, like I'm just, I'm kind of happy to see him again one way or the other. I know there's a connection. Don't think I won't find it. But I guess uh, that that'll probably, I guess, wrap up the podcast for tonight. What we normally do at this point in the show, Rob, and if you want to yeah, join us more more than welcome, but our, our usual ending segment is kind of called What's Awesome in Your World This Week. And all we usually do is just kind of talk about, you know, something maybe, maybe we, bought, we bought or something we saw or something, saw or something, something that we thought was really cool. cool. And, and we, you know, we usually end up adding, adding it to a little Amazon spindle at the bottom. But just kind of go around the, the campfire or whatever and ask everybody what is awesome in their world this week. Since I'm already talking and this has kind of been a semi-related to Aquaman show, I'd just like to share that uh, that I did uh, get from Amazon my uh, DC Unlimited New 52 Aquaman figure <laughs> in the mail, and it, it's it's very cool. I guess some people were complaining about you know, the way the uh, ears looked or something, but my my ears apparently were fine. Like Aquaman had both his ears, and I guess Namor didn't bite them off <laughs> or anything kooky. You know, they look good. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the toy, and I, I've been collecting those sort of DC Universe guys, so it's kind of cool. Like, besides Cyborg, I guess now, I almost have the whole, I guess, New 52 Justice League. So that's kind of my awesome thing for the week. Uh, I guess I'll just go down the Skype tree here. I've got Mike in front of me with uh, Outrageous Aquaman. So uh, what, what's awesome in your world this week, Mike? Uh, just a couple anticipatory things. Uh 
Venture Brothers returns like this coming Sunday, so it's about damn time too. It's like I love that show, so you know I can't I can't wait for the new season and all that. And um, also, uh, Game of Thrones has been really awesome this season too. And uh, you know I'm looking forward to like uh, it's still got a few episodes to go, but I'm looking forward to like you know the end of this season too. So yeah, just you know anticipatory things for like TV basically is what's cool this week. Cool, cool. Um, how about you, Justin? What's what's awesome in your world this week? I have a book um, called The Lost City of Z by David Grin. Oh, I read that. That's good. Yes, it's very good. Um, basically, it's about um, the British explorer Percy Fawcett and his quest to find the possibly mythical lost city of Z. Um, and author kind of like goes to the Amazon and tries to recreate his, you know, his last uh, expedition. And he's talking to, you know, all kinds of, like, you know, tribesmen, and he's talking to, you know, family members and all this stuff. And he, he gives you, like, a lot of uh, detailed history. But the thing about it, it's, like, some history books, they give you, like, way too much history, or it's just the narrative is uninteresting. But in this one, it's, like, it's completely compelling they don't overload you with like a lot of unnecessary information so it's like even though like i know a lot about about the subject i'm like the whole time i'm reading it i'm like well you know are they going to find his you know body or you know like what are they going to find like i was like you know turning the pages but like if you're interested in like you know lost cities or you know expeditions or stuff like that like i'd recommend checking it out it's really good that's awesome. I think uh, I think you and and Rob. What we usually like to say, if somebody like shares the same interest or same kind of like or whatever on the show, we usually kind of call out like secret brother alert or whatever. So I think I think you and you and Justin. I mean, you guys both really love Aquaman and Hawkman, and you know, got the same taste in books and everything. So I think uh, I think there's a, you guys have a lot in common. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's right. We, yeah. Were just, we were just talking about that. He didn't realize you did a uh, a mash. Uh, what is it? The blog or the podcast? Or uh, well, the po- yeah, I've done both basically. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think Justin had realized that, and I was like, wait, I remember him talking about Mash on <laughs> Fire and Water. I know he likes that show, you know. So like, I think that was one of like Justin's like awesome TV shows in the '70s. We did a podcast about that, and we talked about Mash for maybe a good, you know hour or whatever yeah, it was so yeah there's there's plenty of things like that it's my yeah. all-time favorite tv show cool cool uh so what, what's awesome in your world this week well I, you know what it's funny you brought that up because it's somewhat related once it got added to netflix uh, my girlfriend started binge watching the west wing over again from the beginning all 153 episodes and um, <laughs> wow uh i watched that show when it aired originally and i kept with it through the whole show even through the ups and downs and I really thought that the show kind of, like, dipped down a bit in, like, the fourth and fifth seasons. But then in the final season, where it completely shifted tone and started following the new presidential election, uh, I thought the show really got awesome. I mean, because it's like you never got to see that uh, in television before. And so we were watching these over again, and I was marveling over that final season where the show tra- moves from – the president, you know, President Bartlett's administration to a potential, you know, the the Democratic candidate, which is Matthew Santos, played by uh, Bail Organa, and versus uh, uh, the Senator Vinnick, played by Hawkeye Pierce. And it's like, it, I just, I love those two characters. 
and it was fun to watch all the little details of what it might be like to run for president. And then, just in case anybody's seen it, I won't say who wins, but like, like the couple of episodes that, that, that followed the president-elect, to me, those are fascinating because you've never seen that dramatized anywhere of like what it might be like to be that weird two-month period where you know you're going to be the president, but you're not yet. Like that, I don't think it's ever been told in fiction before, ever. So to me, it was really fascinating to watch them all over again and, and to to see all that stuff. I forgot how good that show got. It really went out on a high note, which is hard for a show to do. But I really thought it did, and I but we've really been enjoying watching those again. Cool. Yeah. Well, so we'll we'll have a bunch of stuff on our spindle. Hey, Tony, uh, do you have anything awesome this week or anything? Yeah. I, as you guys know, watch random shows all the time randomly. And good old Bill Shatner, Captain Kirk, has a new series on sci-fi called Weird or What? And, <laughs> and it's a very interesting show because it's pretty much like the old... It's he pretty much called Leonard Nimoy, I guess, and was like, Hey, you mind, mind if I do like In Search Of just now? <laughs> Spock! Spock! Can I do this? Spock! And uh, it, that's pretty much what it is. He... Delves into weird, odd things that happen, and some of it's actually kind of cool. Like the last episode I saw was actually more scientific uh, instead of just looking for like Loch Ness. He was they were talking about the idea of wormholes and uh, black holes, like you know how they could connect and go to like you know large distances across the universe. So it was pretty cool. It was actually kind of interesting. Bill plays it very tongue in cheek. He's not like Leonard Nimoy, who's like you know you know like the Stonehenge. Formation could lead to something very, very important for society, or the end of the world. And Bill Shatter's just like, you know, wormholes, wee! <laughs> so, um, it, it's entertaining, it's it's fun, it's quirky, and I've always been a fan of Bill Shatner and his incredibly awesome stilted acting style, so, uh, yeah, it was a fun watch. Uh, also, honorable mention goes to a new product I tried, because you know me, guys, I try weird stuff. This is a new thing from Doritos called Dynamita. And they're basically rolled up Doritos, and they're like in little, like, I don't know. They look like pretzels almost. And I got chili limon, and I like hot stuff. And even though it's awesome that I, you know, wanted to try something new, they're really hot. So, yeah, try those if you want. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest. Have you... How do you exactly spell that? Like, what is, how do you... Dynamita is D-I-N-A-M-I-T-A. And... Weird. So it's supposed to be like dynamite pretzel chip in your mouth or something? I mean, they don't taste like pretzels. They're just, they're just Doritos. Explode your mouth? They, they, they explode <laughs> in your mouth with, like, the fury of, like, ten suns, so... Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to try them, and it's one of those things that when you eat it, you're like... It's kind of like uh, that episode... It's that scene from uh, Generations... Where Data's like, oh, God, oh, this is that? horrible. I'll have another. <laughs> All right, cool. So I guess I guess that'll wrap up our uh, our podcast for tonight. Um, it was awesome to have Rob Kelly here to talk about Ace Killeroy and Aquaman and Phantom Stranger and everything. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Rob. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, if, like like we said before, if you want to check out uh, any of Rob's stuff, you know, go to the Fire and Water blog spot. You know, go check out AceKilroy.com and all that stuff. And uh, until the next time, uh, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Bye. Goodbye.
Cool. All right, guys. Peace. See ya. kind of do it twice a month but we we basically like record way in advance so we have plenty of sort of buffer time to edit the shows and kind of take our time with everything in case we take a couple weeks off so i think this will probably go up sometime in december probably so yeah we're probably wrapped up for the for our our uh, 2013 year now wow holy jeez yeah Yeah. so (laughs) oh my god i'm gonna tell shag what the hell is that like these guys are six months ahead (laughs) 